Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you for coming back to the Big Money Barber Show. Today we have Bill Mason. He is a great friend of mine. He is a uh, business mentor, leadership mentor, and spiritual mentor of mine. And also, like I said, a great friend. First thing, Bill, go ahead and introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it. I'm uh, Bill Mason. I'm the founder of Rocket Fuel Coach. Uh, we're a strength and leadership coaching company dedicated to helping leaders and teams eliminate burnout, overcome fears, and resolve conflicts. Our mission is to uh, help individuals discover our, their purpose in life, focus on their strengths, become courageous leaders that they were meant to be. Uh, we've been doing this. I've been coaching for about seven years. Uh, I started out early in life at 19 in Ohio, left and went into the army to be a Blackhawk pilot, did that for about 10 years. Then I got out, went on a nonprofit and been working with uh, young leaders and mentors, mentoring a lot of young leaders and teams for the last 30 years. And then started doing a strengths coaching about seven years ago and started my own company about four years ago. So now we're working with a bunch of CEOs to help them take their teams to max performance. That's right. Also, um, I think it's super cool. So- what did you do before you were a coach? Yeah, so full-time staff with a group called The Navigators. Uh, we are a nonprofit that makes disciples. Uh, we help people come into the kingdom, follow Jesus, train them on how to follow, and then teach them to help somebody, and then teach them to help somebody help somebody, and teach them to help somebody help somebody help somebody. So we hope for spiritual generations. Uh, I love all things spiritual. I love uh, following Jesus. I like uh, He changed my life, transformed my life uh, after a buddy of mine died in a crash. A buddy of mine shared the gospel with me and we started growing and got involved with the NAVs and they were, um, they had a really good plan on how to grow spiritually. And I liked that. And it was a bunch of men who were doing menly things and uh, it was super cool. Uh, we've been doing that for a long, long time. And then actually, uh, one of my mentors who's uh, also on staff of the NAVs opened a coaching company and he helped me with this strengths coaching. And I thought, yeah, whatever, Dave, yeah, I'll do it for you. And he did it for free. So I thought I'd do him a favor while well, he was doing me a huge favor. <laughs> radically changed my life about five years ago through some neuroscience and some Clifton Strength stuff that we went over. Nice. So Bill helped me become a much better leader and he's been helping me become a better leader since I've met him. And then, so would you say that you started really becoming a leader before you even knew it? So like by joining the navigators, you were trained in leadership. Yeah, even before I've probably been in leadership training since I was in junior high or high school. Um, I was leading on teams that we were in team captain on a couple teams, my wrestling, I was wrestling team captain for a couple of years. Um, I've always been kind of an out front guy. I, I have command pretty high and I have self-assurance and, uh, I don't like to be told what to do. So when people are like, Hey, you have to do this. I'm like, yeah, do you really? So but do I, I do I really, you know? Uh, and then I got involved with the NAVs and, uh, you know, as an officer, as a warrant officer in the army, you're put in leadership positions. Uh, as soon as you take off, you're in charge. You're fully in charge of that aircraft. You know, so they really taught us in flight school how to be leaders. I was a platoon leader for uh, three or four years at Bragg, and I had like 29 guys that were working me with me from E1s up to E8s. Uh, I had a whole team of E6s and 7s that I had to like herding cats. These guys that were technical inspectors, <laughs> yeah. but they were great guys. You know, they were really, really fun to do. And I felt like that was a great leadership training. And then when I came on staff with the NAVs, our goal is to train individuals and then teach them to train teams. Um, one of my friends who's a congressman now, who's a retired doc, 
he told me once, because sometimes I think, do I really lead? Yeah. I've started three different, four different ministries, led multiple teams. And he's like, Bill, you know, uh, a nonprofit leadership is the hardest kind of leadership because you don't have a stick. You don't pay anybody. They're all volunteers. It's like herding cats. And if you can yeah. herd a bunch of nonprofit cats, you can easily train um, for-profit people, especially teams, because they're getting paid and being paid is a big deal. Yeah. being That makes... I imagine a huge difference. So yeah, you have more control that way. You know, I, I could always oh, fire yeah. you. Hey, sorry, bro. Yeah. You can't work. People are definitely more motivated when they're getting something uh yeah. out of you can take monetary away, you know. monetary gain. Exactly. So the, and oh sorry. I was sorry. just gonna say, you know, transformationally too. I got married when I was twenty four to my wife Anna. We've been married almost thirty three years and I had a son who's twenty five. And those two things radically changed my leadership style, especially getting married because I I move, I was thinking, hey, two people will do twice the amount of work and have twice as much fun. And instead, I got twice the responsibility and that yeah. really kind of crushed my soul for a couple of years until I figured out, oh, this is fine. We can lead. It'll be fine. And she's a great wife. She'll follow me anywhere. So, Yeah, I just had to grow as a leader. So just one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the Big Money Barber Show is because over the last few years, it's become really apparent to me in business how important it is to grow as a leader and how important it is to become a good leader. And I think that something the barber industry is missing is a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of barbershops, my experience talking to barbers and barbershops and working at other barbershops and going to hair events is it doesn't seem like there's adequate leadership in place in place for most of these businesses. And I think it's one of the main contributor, contributors to their failure financially and also with having a team. Because one of the biggest complaints you hear from barbershop owners is you know a lack of a good team and they tend to always blame the barbers and they tend to always blame the people that work below them and then on the opposite side when you talk to a lot of barbers they tend to complain about the leadership and the people on top so in your opinion where do you think where do you think the problem really lies and how if someone is dealing with these issues how do you think they can start to solve them or figure them out yeah it's a great question great question uh, well, I would say it's both and, as well as some other contributing factors. Our culture is a huge contributing factor. Um, you know, as a whenever you do something wrong, we had an old joke in the military, right? You deny everything, admit nothing, and make counter accusations. And when we have conflict, that's what I find. I have, as an adult male, I could probably count on my hands the times some male in leadership above me said, Hey, I did that. That was wrong. Please forgive me. Yeah, super rare. Just doesn't happen because men are men are uh, not just men. People, people are arrogant. They're self righteous, and they assume that they're always right and you're always wrong. And if I'm in leadership position, because most people lead out of their position, not out of influence, then there's no reason to admit fault. And if you can't admit fault, there's no integrity. Without integrity, people won't follow you. Uh, you will only, you know, there's a great book called 21 Laws of Ir Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. That's by Max John Maxwell. And he thinks, and I would agree with him, that all leadership is influence. And from a Christian perspective, Jesus did not want us to be um, leaders who served. He wanted us to be servants who led. Yeah. And the difference is, um, you know, in, in the scripture, there's really kind of two kingdoms there's a kingdom of god and there's empire 
The kingdom of God is about service. It's about love. It's about compassion. It's about serving people. Even Adam and Eve were like business owners. You know, God gave them resources. He put them in charge. They were supposed to make more of people like them. They were supposed to fill the earth with all the different and use the resources available in order to get throughout the entire world. And humans have done a pretty good job at that, even as fallen nature. Um, so he was an entrepreneur to begin with. Um, but these days people want to take no ownership. They don't want to take responsibility. Um, they don't often know who they are. And so, you know, as we're helping leaders, our entry program is to help you figure out who you are and who you're not. So that's the first part of EQ or emotional intelligence. And then the next part is figuring out how to regulate who you are and who you're not. My analogy is, you know, I bought a, a Mustang and dude's got 350 horses. It'll do 150 mile an hour. Um, so once I figure out all the specs on my car, now I need to go drive it around the streets and regulate hitting the brake. You know, if you drive through a school zone, 15 miles an hour, that thing will not do 15 miles an hour unless you hold, hold the pedal. Right. And I could make the excuse, well, that's who I am and just hammer the gas everywhere I go. But if I run over children, probably not a good idea. Yeah. Right? Someone will hold you accountable for that. <laughs> exactly. So that, but that's still only half the EQ piece. Then the other half is realizing there's a whole bunch of other different cars on the road and they're very different than my car, even though it's got four wheels and an engine and it's got doors, it's a very different car. And if you, and then you have to regulate with other people, i.e. driving around. If you and I were in DC traffic at, at rush hour and we wanted to stay together, you can't just hammer the gas and run people off the road, nor can you just hammer the brake and get people to hit you on purpose. You know, that stuff's not cool and you get in trouble for it. But then we get in leadership and we act exactly the same. We blow up mm -hmm. on people. We ghost them. We ignore them. We don't communicate. And then we wonder why either our subordinates or our superiors don't respect us and don't want to be around us. That And the behaviors of blowing up on people and ghosting people are both three to five-year-old emotional intelligence, maturity behaviors. Ooh, that's a controversial statement. There Someone heard that and is getting mad. That's right. If you don't believe me, look on page uh, 122 of Rare Leadership in the Workplace by yeah. Jim Wilder. Yeah, that book explains it very well. And it was eye-opening to me. I'm like, dang, in some things, I'm like a five-year-old. I need to yeah, step it up. I first read that, I was like, oh, darn, I'm an adult child. Dang it. Yeah, I'm an adult child. Not good. So one and thing that's that what happens with most of our leaders. We're just mm -hmm. adult children who have not really learned how to relate. And often we see this as a character fault when in reality, it's simply a maturity issue. It's a 50 year old acting like a three year old. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, I see it all the time in leadership and parenting and all over. Mm -hmm. Now that I've become aware of it, I can see it. And I think one of the issues is people haven't been like introduced to this or been exposed to it. So they don't really understand. And I think you said it really well. Is that like looking at Jesus as a leader who the probably most famous, best leader earth has ever had actually guaranteed, but guaranteed. guaranteed yeah. Probably was a huge understatement guaranteed. But um, you said that Christ or Christ wanted people to be servants first, leaders second. And I think that was where a major shift happened for me and my wife and our business. It was once we stopped looking at the business as like a leadership first, serve second. Like how do we squeeze the ma max out of everybody? How do we squeeze the max money out of the business? Instead, we started, all right, how do we serve our employees and grow them first? Let them have success first. How do we serve them in order for us to 
to find success. And we became servant leaders. And that's when like our business started really blowing up and our employees started becoming really happy and the culture in our barbershop started to really change. So how would you explain a servant leader to someone who's never heard that term before or someone who's, who's unfamiliar with that term? Yeah. Um, so I think in our management styles, the old management style is that workers are the two values are that workers are lazy and stupid. And I disagree. I think yeah. workers, you can get people like that, but if you treat people correctly, they'll, they'll either grow into the position or they'll leave because they're unable to do that. Right. And because as a, at a company, you have the opportunity to release people if they can't make it, you know? And so I think part of it's figuring out with my company, I want these employees. How can my employees not just be in, um, employees? How could they be stakeholders? How, if I make money, can they make money? How, mm -hmm. if we get enough uh, resources, they can get more resources? How can I take time off and get them to take time off? You know, and one example would be the 40 hour work week encourages people to be lazy, right? Yeah. It's easy, right? So if if three of us are side by side and I'm a I'm working at a 10 and my one buddy's working at a six and the other buddy's working at a four and we all get paid the same, it won't take me too long to go, man, I'm just gonna slow back down. I'm gonna or be a six. I'm gonna be a five, right? If everybody yeah. else is a five, I'm gonna be a five. But if you can yep. reward behavior like, hey, I have a 40 hour job I want you to do. If you can get done in 30 hours, you can leave. As long as we have coverage in the shop, you can leave. So you help me figure out how much you want to make. I'll help you price the thing correctly. Uh, when you make money, I'll make money. When I make money, you'll make money. Now you have a stakeholder. Now that guy will be committed to you because he knows you're not just using him. Mm -hmm. And there's incentives if he works hard that he gets credit. And if he works lazy, he doesn't have any money. So he gets fired. You know, Well, he releases himself. And if you can set really good boundaries, then incentivize the right behavior, de-incentivize de the wrong behavior, the thing will, thing will take off like like um, gangbusters. The other struggle is uh, there's a good book by, um, oh, Good to Great by somebody. Gosh, I can't think of his oh, name. I can't think of his name either. Anyway, uh, Good to Great. I'll look it up while we're talking. But his, his primary idea, and I think he's right, um, is that you get the right people on the bus the wrong people off the bus, the right people in the right seats, meaning that their strengths and, and desires align with their work. And then you release them towards your one groundhog thing. Like you guys cut hair. That's your one thing. We don't cut hair and do manicures and do nails. And we cut hair. So you get people all focused on the same thing. Everybody's working in the same vein incentivize good behavior, incentivize the individual to work hard, and then slightly incentivize more them working together as a team. And uh, Jim Collins is the author, would say the team will then go from good to great because everybody will perform at their best and they'll be encouraging each other to run off in their strengths. Whereas most employees, employers typically, the only feedback you ever get is negative. And so if all you give is negative feedback, People will learn to hate you. And the number one reason people leave a job 70% of the times is their number first line supervisor criticized them all the time, never told them what they did well. Yeah, I think that's extremely common. And two key takeaways from what you just said. Um, number one is hire slow, fire fast. 
Hire and slow. that's what he meant by get people off the bus. And I think that is another big thing that barbershops, a lot of barbershops struggle with or fail to do because the fear of having an empty chair and losing that money mm-hmm. is real. But your fear of having someone toxic in the shop should be more real and a bigger issue than having that empty chair. Yep. And then the key takeaway too. Oh man, I just forgot it. It was the last thing you said. Oh, it was uh, your hiring process. So it's really important to hire based on character versus technical skill, in my opinion, because technical yes. skill can be honed be and be and be taught, but character can't be, and not as not as easily. And then another thing that I think you do really well that you taught me was that in order to become a good leader, it's imperative that you understand yourself first before you try to understand your people. And I used to do it in reverse. It used to be like, I get this new guy. I try to understand him to the best of my ability and then influence him to how I think it would make him work harder or become a better Mm -hmm. employee. But I didn't understand myself. So I didn't understand where I was coming up short. I didn't understand where I was failing. And I didn't understand where I was really excelling at either. So it was there's both ends of the stick, what I did good and what I did bad. And what you did for me is when we did the personality testing and we broke down all the, the personality traits is you exposed to me my strengths, which mm-hmm. once they were exposed to me, I was like, yeah, obvious, 100%, like strategic, competitive, all those right. things. I was like, yeah, I'm the man. And then it was like, yeah, but those are also huge weaknesses if you're not careful and if you don't know what to look for. And then once I understood myself, I was able to be, lead much better. And it helped me to also understand other people far more. So it was really interesting. So if you could go into like the importance of really understanding yourself as a leader and your leadership style and how, yeah, just how important it is to really, to really know yeah. yourself. Is it okay if I tell a story? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have a company that I was at a, I was at the gym and uh, I'm always trying to do business because, you know, always good to ask, looking for problems. Money on my mind. I asked this, this friend of mine who I kind of know. Uh, I was like, hey, man, what do you do again? He's like, oh, I'm an ex, you know, a construction guy, right? We'll use construction. I'm a construction guy. Well, wow. How do you like that? Well, I own the business. Like, probably should like it. It's like, huh, you own the business. How's managing going? Oh, I got this guy. Cool. Say more. And away we went, right? So we we ended up meeting the next week. And there's all kinds of conflict on the team between him and the other team, three team leads, right? And the whole the whole team was really struggling. And so um, I said, hey, so I have some solutions. One. You should take the Cliftons because you need to know who you are and who you're not. Then your primary team lead, who you're having the most conflict with, he needs to know who he is and who he's not. And I'll bet after you take the Clifton's assessment, Clifton Strengths assessment, the full 34, I'll be able to tell you the top five or six ways that you guys are jamming each other up, kind of like putting a, a wrench in a gear. And he's like, okay. So he purchases. They do. Um, they probably... I would say their conflict was a uh, probably an eighty or a ninety on a scale of ten or a hundred. Scale of a hundred, so it was a lot. Like about to blow up. Yeah. There was a lot of frustration, a lot of conflict. Um, two months in, after they've done this first two month deep dive, um, probably reduced their conflict by thirty to fifty percent. Right. So now they like each other. Now they understand each other. And the whole problem was they had friction, right? When you you have a talent and I don't, like you have strategic and I don't. So you're gonna say stuff, and I'm like, bro, you're guessing. And you're like, I'm not guessing. This is the way it is. I don't like, guess. Give me some facts. You don't have any facts. You're wrong. And then when you're wrong once or twice, I'll say, see, 
Told you, you were wrong. Yeah, but I was wrong 80% of the time. Yeah, but you're guessing all the time. Any, you know, even a blind squirrel will get a acorn once in a while. And um, but that friction as we're living with each other is always going to be there. Always, always, always. And what you do is once you figure out that, oh, I don't understand you because you're you're very intuitive with your strategic themes, and I'm very concrete with my with my analytical themes, then I can tell myself, oh. He's not guessing. He's not being stupid. And I can stop using that word because it hurts feelings. And then I can say, okay, so there he's making this thing that I can't quite get because I don't understand it. I'm going to trust him unless proven otherwise. And then the other thing you do is you add understanding, gratitude, easy. Say thank you and appreciate people. Hey, yeah. thank you for leading. Hey, thanks for showing That's up huge. for work today. Hey, thank you for working 80 hours this week. You know, thank you for coming in five minutes early. I appreciate you. I appreciate thank that you for you the effort. Nice. Yeah. You know, so you look for ways to be thankful and gratitude, which actually bonds you as a team. Gratitude bonds you and contempt. Oh, that guy. That causes us to break bonds. So it causes loneliness and loss on a team. So if you add that gratitude, it's great. So I help them with their strengths. We put them on a grid side by side. Then four of their own leaders all took the same thing, did the two-month deep dive that we do to help them figure out who they are and who they're not. A year later, I'm talking to the primary team lead. I said, hey, so how much has your conflict reduced from the Clifton's and then from the neuroscience piece that we've taught? And he's like, um, friction or uh, conflict? We don't really have any conflict anymore. Now, in the process... They also did have two people exit because of some things that happened. So that's like, like you said, if you got a fly in the ointment, the ointment is always nasty. So there are times where yep. there are some employees that just don't fit. Either you're going to have to let them go or set up boundaries so that when they can't meet the boundaries, they can't make meet the expectations, then they decide themselves that they can't work there. Mm -hmm. So that team just took off. So I think that's just an illustration of some of what we do and Really, I only understood this in the last five or six years. And what happens is when you have a talent, like I'll, I'll probably see your strategic as dumb, as a moral problem, right? And you'll see my concreteness as, dude, you're stuck in the mud. Why can't you see this? Are you stupid? How can you not see this? And that friction is what causes most of the rub. At least 60, 50% of the rub is personality difference, left and right-handedness in your personality. Yeah, absolutely. And what's crazy is once you've gotten clarity on your personality differences, it almost always goes away. Correct. Correct. My Especially album. in the workplace, unless there's like a, there are some personality things where I think that people can't get along, you know, like moral differences, but um, I would disagree. You think so? You think I, that, uh, I can get along with anybody in, in the last four years. I've had one time that I've, um, gotten angry enough to even raise my voice yeah and you know part of it was that when you yelled at me at the coffee that's shop? right when i yelled at you <laughs> no, when uh, part of it's kind of it's intent right this is a weird thing you know if you're driving down the road we're living in destin here if i'm driving down the road and somebody from pensacola runs me runs over in front of me and cuts me off i think that's personal like oh who the heck are you why are you invading my space who do you think you are and it's as if i thought this guy drove from Pensacola, looked for Bill Mason's Mustang. Just to cut you off. Just to cut me off. Well, that's not true. I just happened to be the poor sap that was in his way. and Maybe he didn't see me. It's a good chance I was in his blind spot and he didn't see me. If I think he intended me wrong, I'll be angry and blow up at him. 
if I think he's being silly and he should have known better, then I won't be upset anymore. So what I think you intend causes a positive or a negative reaction. So if you walk around and once you have understanding of people and you're the much you're the adult in the room, then you don't have to blow up on people anymore. It's your choice now whether you do. And some of that's training because some of the neuroscience can't be taught except in relationship. You have yeah. to learn it from someone else. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess that once you've matured and you've learned these things and you've grown, you can become the person that can get along with everybody, but always being around people who have that maturity level, totally different. So oh, relationship yeah. might not be work, but it could be totally one-sided. Like, okay, of they course. just didn't well, like it, me. As and an owner, okay. it's going to feel really one-sided. Because you're going to yeah. have to give and give and give and give, and occasionally they'll give back. But you're the owner. You benefit from this. They're they're serving you. You are not serving. You know, you're serving them. They are not serving you. Yeah. You're giving them a job and all that stuff, but you're taking the risk. And you're if you serve them and help them to see, hey, um, that's not who we are. And you know, when you were talking about hiring, one of the big things is making sure you have your eight or nine values that are important to you, and you communicate them. And then when they're in the shop, you can be like, hey. We are not liars. Hey, we do not mess over our customers. No. Hey, we do not cheat our customers. Hey, we don't steal from our customers. Hey, we work hard. Hey, we come to work on time. Hey, we dress appropriately, you know, and that idea of we also brings connection for the team that attunes yep. you to the team, just like going through hard stuff together. Yeah. It's creating that culture together. And I think exactly. that's extremely important in a business is you got to have culture. And I think another, what I've seen in my years of in business with leadership is the lack of standards. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is like, if you don't have these standards set, some people will meet them. Some people won't, if they're not equal across the board, well-known and explained as soon as people start. So barbershop owners, it's important that you have a set of standards and you hold everyone accountable to those standards because your whole, your whole team will do much better. If you, if you do that 100% so, and you can't have rules that you yourself are not lit the example of exactly. You also have to live according to the standards you put in place for your team. So how, if someone is listening to this, they own a barbershop and they don't have any of this and they've never done this. They don't have standards set in place or dealing with, with, um, probably themselves not having the greatest of leadership, but also dealing with problem employees or having issues with an employee, what would you say would be the number one thing that they should do right now? First thing they should, they should do. Go to, to Google and look up or go to www.rocketfuelcoach.com and click <laughs> free 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 uh, session. That's the first thing they should do. Free session. Free session. We'll hook up. And they should take the Cliftons before they talk to me and I will hook them up. I'll blow their mind how much I know them, even though I've never talked to them. Um, in light of, if you don't want to do that, uh, secondly, they should call you shameless right? plug, shameless yeah. plug for Cameron, the amazing barber. Cause you're doing, you're, you're killing it brother. Uh, Thank and you. you, you know how you've taken your company, um, and multiplied it 10 X. And I'm sure you can do that with other people as you're coaching. Um, yes. the other thing you want to do is, you know, one of the first things I do, I would take the Clifton's and try to work through it and see if I could figure out who I was. Basically, if you look at your top 15, you'll figure out kind of who you are and what drives you. Your bottom 15, their bottom seven or eight from about 26 to 34 are going to be areas that you're going to judge garbage out of people and you have huge weaknesses in, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the reports, it shows you some of the some of the blind spots at the top. Secondarily, I would write out a set of 
um, values and post them somewhere in my shop. Whatever those values are, it doesn't matter as long as they're what you are. Like, you know, at the gym, community, community first, never quit, have fun. Those are part of our value system and that's what we do, right? And then the third thing is I would sit down and just like if you were writing a contract for a house, if you've ever read that thing, once you bought a house, it's like 79,000 pages long. Um, I would write out 10 or 12 simple rules that are um, how we live, how we operate, like don't steal, um, show up on time, uh, work hard. You know, those things are my expectations, whatever they are. And they don't need to be what I just said. They need to be what you think is true. The values and the culture that you want to create do not write anything that you are not living out or not willing to live out and to be the model in because that's that service piece. Yep. And then talk to people. One other big thing is every week, tell every employee, thank you. I appreciate X and name something they do or who they are every single week, if you could every day. And you'll see your that one thing. If you do that for 30 days, you'll see any any relationship that you're having problems with. If you have to tell people, thank you, even though you don't like them, 30 days, it'll change how you see them. 100%. Yeah. I've seen marriages I, flipped, ready to get divorced, flipped over in 30 days. And they I just can did see that. Thing. Crazy. And, yeah, it is crazy. And that's something that I've been really bad. Like I've done poorly in the past and I never recognized it because- it wasn't intentional. I didn't intentionally like you don't need not it. tell them thank you. Yeah. But, and then, it. yeah. So I started doing that and I, there was a great response from the team members who required it. And that's another thing. Some people don't require it. Some people, all they need is money, like financial gain, room to grow. That's all I care about. But then there's the other people who they don't care about that. And all they really want is you to tell them they're doing good all yep. the time. Because we have barbers now where I could offer them a price increase or I could just offer them praise regularly and they would probably choose praise 100%. because they just want to be feel, they want to know that they're important. They want to know that they're in a role where they're, they're appreciated and valued. And I think a lot of leaders and business owners don't understand that half your team, that might just be as important as how much money they're making or more important. And that was a big eye opener for me because there's guys on my team, guys and women who that's really all they want. So when I'm pushing yep. them really hard to be become a, a like top-notch earner so that they get more money, obviously I do too, but I also want them to hit six figures, right? Some people don't really want to push that hard. They just want to be in a place where they feel valued. So I can get right. them to push much harder if I try to use money as the as the motivator. It's not going to work for those right. people. But if right. I use praise, it's a far better motivator sometimes. And honestly, it's much easier to use praise as a motivator for those people, as long as you recognize who it's for and when to do it. And it's become, it's a game changer because now it's just automatic to me because I've made it, I've become used to, or I've implemented it into like how I operate. So now it's just like, whenever I walk in the shop, I'm giving every single person a compliment on something. It doesn't, no matter what, every time, it might just be the way they're dressed. Cause I know who, who really cares about their attire. So like, if I walk in, I tell this guy, dude, what you're wearing today, you look clean. Boom. I just made his day. He's super happy. That's all he needed. You know, and and when you can encourage your team like that, you can really build a really healthy and happy environment and happy culture. And I think that's where where a lot of businesses lack that because they're not putting in the effort 
And what do you think? So you you deal with this a lot more. Do you think that those, because you coach mainly on the leadership part, yep. do you think that a lot of these businesses lacking leadership lack the clarity or do you think that some of, or do you think they don't really care? Um, yeah. You don't know unless you talk to, pers- to the person. And we do yeah. do whole business, you know, the whole life. We want to help you in every aspect of business. So conflict to burnout, you know, or to life balance. And I think I heard this good quote that said, "Command the only thing you can command, i.e. a stick, is mediocrity. If you want greatness, mm-hmm. you have to influence it. And you have to do it by being first. You know, and I thought, man, that's a great quote. That'll preach. And I think, um, I think a lot of people are not developing themselves. There's a crazy quote. I think it's like 50% yes. of people after 24 never learn another word. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a bigger number. You know, and so, you know, when I was in my 20s, I hate reading, L- literally hate to read, right? For fun. It's not fun for me. It is work. Yeah. So when I was in my 20s, somebody told me, leaders are readers. You should read. And I thought, oh, what a nightmare. I hate reading. But even though I hate reading, I, I usually put in 12 to 20 books every year. And the reason, like uh, if you ever read multiple books by Jim Collins, what you're going to get is good, good to great. I don't care what it says on the collar of the cover, you're going to get good to great. That's his one lifelong message. And so if you read a book in eight hours, eight to 10 hours, I, I audible books and turn them up to 2.0. That way I can get them done in about four hours because uh, I like to listen while I'm working out and yeah. stuff. I can get a, a person 60 years of life compressed to eight hours. And if I could do that 20 times this year, that's a century, over a century of learning that I didn't have to learn. I didn't have to go through life to learn what they learned. I simply took in the best of their whole life. And so you keep doing that and all you do is continue to grow. You know, I'm 57. I don't intend to quit working until I die. I hope to die with my boots on as long as I can talk. And um, I will probably continue to develop. I have four mentors, four or five mentors. I have three coaches. I'm paying $12,000 a year for coaching. And I have multiple um, peer peer relationships, business peer relationships that are helping me grow the business. So uh, I like the ideas of like uh, can't, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken that who's bankrupt at 65 and at 66, he decides to start a company. And by the time he's 80, he's a multimillionaire. Now there's one in every, every town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with your employees, probably the biggest thing, you know, there are kind of three types of employees or people who, like you said, just want to be employees and nothing else. You're never probably going to get them to a hundred thousand. You might, but you might not. Right. Cause they're driven yeah. by other things. And then you have mm-hmm. managers Sometimes employees can be managers if they have the skill set, but some employees don't want to be managers. And if you put them into managing, they're going to fail. And then some managers could be business owners, but I think business owners are the 10 percenters. And there's just not a lot of people. And unfortunately, like you, we've talked before, if you hire a business owner, he's only with you for two or three years. He's got to go start his own thing. Yeah, he's he's out. So and that's good, actually. You know, in if you think about abundance, if you hire a guy, train him to be like you and to train you to share and train you to be nice to each other, and he moves a mile away from you, man, there's plenty. There's plenty of haircuts to be made. So mm-hmm. you're not hurting yourself by helping the community by spawning copies of yourself. Matter of fact, you two might corner the market. You never know. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity and ways to leverage that if, you, if you're not greedy. I think yeah, and I exactly. think that a lot of exactly. people get really greedy and they want to hoard all oh, the haircuts are mine, all the clients are mine. And it's like, oh, if you just work together, you guys could 2X your business together. Yeah, because you know, 
there's only 80,000 people in this county. So when you could oh, cut all it. those hair, when you've got the ability to do that, bro, let me know. We're turning and burning 80,000 cuts month, a year in our shop. Every month. 80,000 <laughs> Yeah, a month. Every two no weeks, way. Bill. One. Plenty do hair cut every 30 seconds. And if I can, you know, like the special ops guys, if I can bring this guy in and then I can have him leave with honor, not with dishonor. Well, if he gets, if he doesn't do well, he'll come back. And if mm -hmm. he leaves with honor, he won't treat me like a, an enemy anymore. And you can actually win, you know, you might even help him grow his business because helping him might help you because of the symbiosis and the synergy that create that two people from different shops work. It's almost like you launched another of your own shops, even though you're not making any money off of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that was really, that was a really big moment for me and me and Christina and the barbershop and our other businesses is, okay, we've learned how to lead ourselves. We've become efficient and effective leaders, but there's a whole nother side to that, a whole nother game that we never played. And that was now, how do we build leaders? How to create leaders? How do we, how do we influence someone in a way that they can replace us, which is in my opinion, far more difficult than becoming a 100%. good leader yourself. So now we've we've managed to do that pretty well and we're still learning, we're still doing that. And I think that barbershop owners and barbers, if you're listening, this is a really important takeaway that once you become a good leader yourself, you need to learn how to create leaders so that they have room for growth. Because if you do not create opportunity for your team, the best ones will leave especially if right. they're they're growth minded if they're they're big into self development and they want to grow if you don't provide the room for growth they will leave so how you how you maintain your relationship and keep them on your team is you provide an outlet for that and that could look like a lot of different things so how would you how would you give someone so say someone's in a position right now where they they think they're a great leader mm -hmm. what would be your advice to start you know maybe looking at growing a leader or building a leader for their team. Yeah. So the first thing I'd do is I'd have lunch with him every week, period. And I'd pay for his lunch. And then I would ask him, hey, I'm, you know, I would compliment him for the things he's doing well, um, encourage him in the areas his leadership is growing, ask him if he's interested in growing more, if there's any ways I can help you. I would probably cast vision for him. Hey, man, I could see you taking over the shop one day. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's something you want to do? And if a guy says, no, nah, I'm good, that's fine. No problem. Um, one of the other things I would do on the, for the whole team is I'd have lunch with them as a team every week and I'd pay for it. And the reason is because when you, when you have meals together, it bonds your team in ways that nothing else does. And I'd close the shop down for an hour. I'd just, I'd just do it. I'd pay the cost and just know that one day a week, we're not going to work during 12 to one. You have to be here. You're at lunch. You know, you don't have to come join us, but you're still working. So, you know, do lunch, but we're going to provide lunch. If you want to come great. And if you don't great. And I think, um, those times together, cause you're going to have to find some way to get time with this person outside of just cutting hair or watching him cut hair. Yeah, that's and, where the real relationship building is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I would ask, I don't assume anybody, anything of anybody, anybody, um, probably the biggest question, I don't know how many of my CEOs will be like, man, I got this employee and I don't know what he's thinking. Da, da, da. I was like, well, how could you find out? I don't know. Okay. What did ask you him. Do? I could ask him. You are rocket science. Oh my gosh. You're brilliant. We just don't think that I can just ask people, Hey, does it bother you when I correct you like this? Or does it bother you? Or do you, what encourages you or what are your dreams 10 years from now? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be stuck 
cutting hair, doing the same job you're doing right now, which is fine if you do. But if you don't and you want to get somewhere farther, then how can I help you? And ask, but don't assume. Yep. And that's one thing that is extremely important and valuable. And I think that it's really overlooked and undervalued in the industry. Like one thing we teach, one thing I teach in my coaching and also we utilize in the shop is at the beginning of every year. So we do weekly meetings. We do monthly meetings. Um, most of them one-on-one because our schedules are so different. We can't get everyone at one time. So we've had to, we've had to modify, but at the beginning of every year, we go through and we ask them like, Hey, he, what's your one-year goal? What's your five-year goal? So that we know, because if someone comes into our shop and they're a great executor, they do everything well. And in five years, they want to open their own barbershop. All right. I have a decision to make here. Do I keep investing into this person as a leader and lose them? Or do I figure out a way to become a partner with this person? Or how do I figure out a way to keep him within my business? So not only are you creating these long-term goals for your team and helping them and providing them with value, you're getting insight into what the future of your business looks like, yep. which is is crazy valuable as a business owner. So barbershop also, owner... Oh, yeah, go okay. ahead. No, I was just going to say that all these things, like they take time to implement and that's okay. Implementing all this stuff immediately is a lot, but... Like Bill said, start with maybe just one monthly meeting and then expand into that weekly meeting. And it will change the culture and the environment of your shop dramatically. And because the relationships you guys have and the bonds you have will become so much tighter. 100%. I also don't pick people like, oh, that guy will make a good leader because over 30 years of trying to pick people doesn't work. So Learn what you that do is the hard I way. assume everybody wants to be a, you know, a seven-figure business owner and they want to own their own business. And if they don't, that's fine. But I offer it. I offer the training to everybody. And then I go back and match funds. If this guy puts in a one, I'll put in 1.5. If he puts in three, I'll put in 4.5. If he puts in five, I'll put in six. And if he puts in five, 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 I'll go back to five. Right. Yep. So I'm going to match funds on whatever he wants because I don't want to try to get him to do what he does not want to do. Uh, I don't want to push a rope. You know, but if he wants mm-hmm. developed, he wants to grow and take his life to the next level. I'm going to help him as far as he wants to go. And then anybody who's like, "Well, you didn't do that for me," I'm offering the same to everyone. If you want to grow, get time with me. Well, I can't. How about four in the morning? That's early. I'll come to your house. It'll be fine. Well, I'm old. You can get up. Come on, bro. You know, yeah. because people who are hungry, you simply feed the hunger just like a child. And when their hunger goes away, you take the bottle away. Yeah, and a lot of people just aren't hungry. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's not a character fault. Just because you don't want what I want, that's fine. Maybe you like your life. And if you do, that's awesome. I want you to like your life. That's our whole key is to help people figure out who they are so they can live a life without conflict and live in the job they love because life's too long to live in jobs you hate. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's absolutely true. Luckily we're in the barber industry. So we all love what we do. Fact. Most people are coaching. So I absolutely love what I'm doing. Yeah. It's awesome. Me too. I love coaching too. I like helping people. I like serving people. But another thing that I think is really important is that ask, always ask, never assume. I learned the hard way. I I assumed that people wanted to be leaders or I I didn't even assume that they wanted it. I just saw the potential in them. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this person right here would make a great leader. And I took it upon myself to push them in that direction. Did not work out. They didn't want, they didn't, not only did they not want the responsibility of becoming a leader or taking that position, they didn't have, they really didn't have the work ethic that it required to put in. 
So even though I could see the potential in them and I knew that they could do it, they didn't want to do what was necessary to do it. And I'm like, but dude, like, or to even females, like you have so much potential to grow. And sometimes people just don't want that. And I had to really take a step back because I used to kind of like not force it, but I used to think that I was so powerful. I could get people Mm -hmm. to do it. I'm like, I can, I can make them do it. I can get them to do it. I can influence them. But no, there's a, there's a certain point where like, all right, nope, just not going to happen. So I think it's important to also recognize that like, not everyone's cut out to be that leader. So if it's not working out, go ahead and feel like, be comfortable pumping the brakes on that. Yeah, Don't force exactly. it because you want it. You it's have to like, choose the right person. Exactly. It's kind of like they have out. to choose really. They do. Well, it's kind of like yeah. working out, right? If I'm working out and you want to work out, Hey, I want to get in shape. Well, why don't you come work out with me five days a week? I'll do it. And then they can't, they paid for the gym, but then they never show up. And they're yeah. like, I really, really want to get in shape. Well, then you have to work out five hours a week. No, but I want to get in shape. Well, but you have to work out five hours a week. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. Well, then you don't want to get in shape. And so often people want outcomes that we have, but they have to Without do the, the things that we do to get those outcomes. And at the end of the day, sometimes they're just either unable um, or unwilling or unwilling, or they just decide they just don't want it enough. You know, yep. I work out five days a week. It's one of the big rocks I do because I put it in first. Yeah. Just the way it is. Yep. And so then I everything else splashes around that rock. And so I'm in shape at 57. Had I not, when I quit doing that, I will no longer be in shape. So that's an interesting. I'm glad we kind of brought it up here because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And it's crazy to me, not really crazy, but I used to hear all the time on Instagram and you hear these, these like super fit people, like business owners, and they're like, being in shape directly correlates with making money. And having success. And I used to think like, these guys are so full of crap. These guys are so full of crap. These guys are straight knuckleheads or meatheads, yet they have $400 million company, right? Correct. Correct. And then I started taking my health and fitness seriously and everything started improving, which is, which is really dope. So if you could just give us a quick, like little, like tell your story about how your physical fitness journey benefited you. Yeah, of course. Um, there's a part of it. There's a correlation, not a causation. Just because you get in great shape doesn't mean you'll make a bunch of money. That's a fact, yeah, right? Yeah, but, true. Um, you know, I was 30 pounds overweight. My back hurt. My shoulder hurt. My shoulder, I couldn't throw football. Um, my my hip was hurting. My my knee hurt. I was just in, in a mess. I went to this gym, paid 150 bucks a month for both for each. And I thought, man, this is crazy. Why am I doing that? You know, um, and uh, in 30 days. I, you know, the first month was horrible. The second month was probably even worse. The third month I didn't like about the sixth month. I'm actually down about 25 pounds. We did a couple challenges. Um, my blood pressure started dropping. I had hypertension at the time. And in six to eight months, nine months, I look like it was 20, 30 again. And actually now at 57, I'm the strongest I've ever been and bench 305 or near there. And, um, it's kind of crazy, but the, also the other benefit I've been disciplined most of my life as far as like, if there's something I need to do, I figure out a way to do it, even though it's not natural for me to naturally order myself. So like when I was young in my twenties, they said, you should read your Bible. And I thought if you're a Christian, probably ought to be a good one. So I thought I should read my Bible, even though I don't really like reading the Bible. It's kind of boring. And so I uh, got up and have coffee. And then if I had coffee, then I'd read a chapter in the Bible. And if I read a chapter, because the coffee will be a trigger to remind me to read my Bible. If I read my Bible, then I get a Reese cup. If I do a chapter and for every chapter, I get Reese cups. So I three or four Rewards. chapters, three or four Reese cups, Woo-hoo, big reward. Dangling right? the carrot. 
And if I did, I did that for two years. And now if I walk in Starbucks and I smell coffee, I'm like, oh, did I read my Bible? I don't know if I read today, right? Just the smell. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was nice because what happened was that habit transferred from, it took emotional energy to get into the scripture. And now it takes energy, emotional energy, not to read it. So that's where I want to go in my life. And because I had, I have discipline there. When I went to the gym, I felt better. I have more energy. Um, I can work harder and longer. And every day, five days a week, I tell myself, no, 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 no. Because I'm like, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to do three rounds, not four. I'm going to do 10 reps, not 12 reps. And you just tell yourself a thousand times, no, 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 no. So then when I sit down on my computer and think, I'm going to look at emails and I go, no, I'm not. I'm going to work on what I told myself I'm going to work on. Mm -hmm. Or I'm talking to my employee and they blow up on me and I go, <clears throat> yeah, okay, give me a second. I'm a, I need a minute. Let me go talk. Let me calm down. Okay, we're going to have a talk, but not right now. So because I've told myself no a thousand times already today, when I encounter things I want to cave in on, especially character issues, I've already told myself no. And that obedience at working out also carries, carries over in my finances. It carries over into my um, my eating abilities. It carries over into how I treat people. Plus, if you work out, you're tired. So you don't blow up on people because you're tired. Yep. Dude, I, I would I would be angry with you, but I'm too tired to be angry with you. So let's just work this Not out. worth it. Not, Not worth, worth it. blowing up. Yep. And it's proven that if you find discipline in any one area, other areas of your life will start to come align. And you think yep. if once you figure that out, you know, once you start working out, you get back in shape, then you start thinking, oh, I could get bigger. I could get stronger. I could get faster. And I think the same thing happens in business. Once you start to become disciplined, like if you can discipline your money in your business, so you're not spending too much, then you think, well, we really could make a go of this. And then once you get your prop, your business profitable, you start to think, I'll bet we could launch another one of these somewhere. Yep. Maybe. 20 miles from here. That way they don't take our clients, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and so now you start to see things in a different way. And if you, for me, the biggest mind shift in making money has been from, you know, they've been told, hey, make a dream board. What if you owned a million dollars? And I would think, I don't know, I'd probably do the same thing I'm doing right now. But when I started thinking, well, if I had a million dollars, I could hire 10 other coaches and get them to make a hundred thousand. That's significant. Now that's yep. something I can get behind. So my desire is to make a million dollars a year if we could do that in the next 10 years. So I could hire other coaches. And so those coaches could experience the same benefits I'm experiencing. And I know create impact the exact same way. Yep. Yeah. It's all about having impact on this on this planet. Exactly. Because the yeah. money means nothing. positive impact. Yeah, exactly. I don't want the money. I want the what the money, the influence the money will give me. Not so I can yeah. keep it, but so I can give it away. And as a as an owner, if you take that mindset and you look at a chair and think, I could say, well, that chair can make me twenty thousand dollars. Or I could say, hey, that chair could make us a hundred and twenty thousand and I get my twenty and he'll get a hundred thousand. We're good. We're golden. And if your employee understands that, he's gonna love you for life. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. I think we can about wrap it up on this, but I want to build off of that before we go. So what you were just saying about being able to become the person who makes a million so you can have 10 people that make a hundred thousand and create that kind of impact. Barbershop owners or barbers who plan on opening a barber shop. This is exactly the mindset you need to have to be successful. Because if you go into a business or wanting or start currently changing the business model you have now with the idea of, I need to create people under me that can maximize their income. 
and I can take a small percentage of that to build mine, you are going to create a team. You're going to create a money-making machine. You're going to create a powerhouse team and they will love you for that. And you just Mm -hmm. can't be greedy. You have to be a servant leader and becoming a servant leader. Everything we talked about right now, if you start modifying or you start improving, executing on these things, it will improve your business without a doubt. And it will also improve your personal life because like you were talking about with working out, like for me, working out created discipline in my life. Mm -hmm. I have really low discipline. You know, my personality traits, my discipline is terrible. Luckily, Luckily I'm strategic. So like that made up for it. I understood that like in order to be successful, I have to do these zero discipline. If I don't have to do it, I'm not doing it, but working out consistently forced me to learn how to do the hard things all the time, no matter what. And that all these things directly correlate with success in your relationships, your private life, your business, being a parent, being a father, being a mother, everything. So it's not only business. So leadership can leech in, you become a good leader in your business. You learn how to become a good leader at home. Then you can lead your family. You learn how to lead your family. You can start leading other people around you. And what does Jordan talk about the rings of influence? Yeah. Meaning that, um, you, you kind of have rings of influence, like, right. My, my family's most important. So they get my greatest time. And then you're going to have some employees that want to be trained and they're going to get some of your time, but not as much as your employee, you know, as your family. Um, then you have other employees who are just kind of there and you're going to give them less time. Then you have your mm-hmm. customers. They get even less time. Then you have everybody on the street. They have less time. So you want to make sure you work from the inside out. A lot of people, like a lot of owners, will be undisciplined and they'll have responsibilities at home. Like, hey, I told my wife I'd be home at six and it's 545 and I'm answering emails that don't matter because I don't realize it's irresponsible for me to stay here and do these emails when I told my wife I'd be home. I have responsibilities at home, just like I have at work. And so learning to be self-controlled and be able to tell yourself no is probably the most helpful thing you can do. Yeah, 100%. And other than like cracking open the Bible and getting in the Word, I think becoming aware of those issues was number one. And then also I think doing physically difficult things Yes, for me was a huge, huge for me. Because now even going to the gym is easy. Like yeah, you just when you can when you get to a point where going to the gym is easy, very few things become that di- like are difficult. Like they have to Correct. be major. They have Correct. to be major. Correct. So yeah, now when I hear these dudes online and I'm like not a knucklehead, like I'm gonna be that guy. Now I'm like I'm gonna get that jacked. I'm gonna have that kind of success. Now I direct. Now I understand the c- correlation. And it's not just BS. No, it's not. Really, because discipline carries over. Just the way it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Bill, thank you for coming on. Really appreciated. Appreciate you coming on, having this conversation. Great conversation. Thanks, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, me so, too. It was awesome being here. Yeah, thank you, everybody. This is Bill. If you want to learn more about leadership, get some coaching, Rocket Fuel Coach, hit him up online. He'll hook you up for free with your first, what is it? Uh, if you'll take the Cliftons, I'll do you a free 60-minute session and help you figure out who you are, who you're not, and start you on the journey of maximizing your performance. You will be surprised at how much he can teach you about yourself in 60 minutes. He did it to me and it blew my mind. So take advantage of that. So thank you guys for checking into the Big Money Barber Show again. Hope you guys learned some valuable nuggets today. We will see you guys later. Thanks, Cameron. Great being with you. Hope you have a great night. <laughs>